All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America. Happy Wednesday in Washington, D.C. This is a really important day going on right now all across this country in the House Administration Oversight Committee, chaired by Congressman Barry Loudermilk. There's a hearing of the Capitol Police Inspector General, and it will be influenced by news that we broke here at Just the News last night. Exclusive video footage, new J6 video footage. I think our 10th piece of really newsworthy security footage that we've put out over the last few weeks since we began the process. It's tedious going through this video, but we're finding really unchallengeable, compelling new facts about security and intelligence failures at the Capitol. We're going to get to that in a second. But Congressman Barry Loudermilk is chairing that hearing. Before he went into that hearing, we got some exclusive time with him. He went over the video footage we broke. We're going to tell you about that in a second. What's going on at the hearing? We're going to kick off the show with Congressman Barry Loudermilk. He has a lot to bring on this subject. You're going to be surprised about what he knows and what's going on. So we'll start the show with that. In the second block, Bud Cummings, former U.S. Attorney in Little Rock, a man who had a lot to do with bringing to the Justice Department some of the corruption allegations against Hunter Biden, who is currently uh, highlighting some significant allegations of misconduct against the FBI in the Keith Rainier sex cult case. It's a case that the FBI didn't need to cheat on, but according to many experts now, there was some very bad manipulation of evidence that went on by the FBI after the FBI took possession of the evidence. And then, of course, it's AMAC Wednesday, and that means we get one of the great experts at the Association for Mature American Citizens, one of our great partners. And today, we got a good one. One of the greatest congressional investigators I ever saw in operation in Congress, later an assistant secretary of state in the Bush administration, and today the national spokesman for AMAC. Bobby Charles is in the House. We're going to talk corruption and also accountability in all that we're learning in the Biden scandals. A really great show today. Talk about a triple header. You're going to leave today with some serious serious knowledge. Let's go through the big stuff that's happening today. I'm going to get to the J6 video in a second. But first, the two IRS whistleblowers that we first broke on this show, on this website, later shared it with CBS News, later became witnesses before the House Ways and Means Committee. Today, they're before the House Oversight Committee with James Comer and a really significant revelations 
right out of the back. By the way, the second, we knew the first whistleblower, Gary Shapley. You know him because he came on the show. We interviewed him. You got to hear from him firsthand on the show. His colleague, his subordinate IRS agent, because Gary Shapley was a supervisor agent, the case agent for the Hunter Biden case, went public today. And boy, did he just come out of the box and take away the mainstream media and the Democrats' plan, a line of attack, that this is some partisan effort by wayward IRS agents. He came out and said, hey, guys, you got a problem with that line of argument. You know why? I'm gay and I'm a Democrat. (laughs) I'm on your team, Democrats. What happened here should concern you. Hunter Biden got a sweetheart deal. He did not get treated like every other tax fiend that he had prosecuted over the years. And for the first time today, we have a name to put to that agent who had been previously just referred to as Whistleblower X or Whistleblower 2. His name is Joseph Ziegler, openly gay. He brought his husband in support today, a Democrat. His point is, this wasn't ever about politics. It was about making sure Hunter Biden was treated like other tax cheats and prosecuted the same way. And that didn't happen. He talked about chronic slow walking of decisions, the obstruction of investigators of taking tactics they would have taken against any other tax defendant if his name wasn't Hunter Biden. It is very compelling evidence. In fact, Gary Shapley is a compelling witness. You know, you heard him on the show. He's taking a second seat because Joe Ziegler is letting it fly at the hearings today. Democrats are having a hard time figuring out what to do with him. A very important and compelling witness today. And we're learning a lot more about just how much obstruction and political interference occurred in the Hunter Biden case, starting with, yes, Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss did sign off on a more serious felony indictment going back to 2014 against Hunter Biden. But according to Joseph Ziegler, he got cold feet. Why? I'll tell you why. He was afraid that jurors might find the Biden name sympathetic after the loss of Beau Biden to cancer, after the chronicle stories of Hunter Biden being a drug addict. So yeah, they treated him differently because of the optics, not because of the evidence in the case. That should concern all of us. And it does. In fact, we we know it. We know it concerns us. But that is the testimony. It's still ongoing. You can watch the live feed on justthenews.com. You can go back and rewatch the hearing later if you want. Uh, Meanwhile, we had a blockbuster revelation last night on the Just the News No Noise television show. We unmasked about a four-minute and 20-second videotape that is perhaps the latest and most serious of the security failures we've been able to find on the videotape. What does it show? It shows the Capitol Police lost control of a yellow bag, an infamous yellow bag of law enforcement-like equipment. These included plastic handcuffs, which, by the way, fell on the ground. The bad guys, the rioters and protesters, picked them up, and then they immediately used them to put the Capitol Police officers in danger. Now, you'll see in the story, we talked to experts. You know what the experts say? When you go to police academy, one of the first lessons they teach every law enforcement officer, every street cop, every federal cop, every FBI agent, don't lose control of your equipment because your equipment can be used against you in a lethal or deadly way. Well, what you see on the videotape are Capitol Police officers dragging this bag of gear. It's not clear whose gear it is, but they're dragging the bag into the Capitol and the handcuffs fall out. These are these plastic zip tie handcuffs that are used in riot situations. And they just leave the handcuffs on the ground. A few minutes later, a rioter comes by, picks up the handcuffs uses them to tie the door shut and trap the officers inside the vestibule where they had just gone. And a few minutes later, there is fire extinguishers sprayed on the officers and the officers cannot 
get out of the building because their cuffs are, or the cuffs that they dropped on the ground, whoever they were, they were left on the door tied and they couldn't get out. They had to bust through. They would come out choking and endangered. And then they lose track of the bag again. And these rioters and protesters, they grab the bag with very sensitive gear and they walk off. Then the rioters bring it back and there's no cops there to take it. And the rioters are going through it, taking things like riot helmets and batons and other things. An extraordinary failure of basic security protocols for law enforcement captured on tape. No one ever found this. The January 6th committee kept this from uh, the inspector generals and watchdogs that did all the reviews of the Capitol Police never brought this. It doesn't appear that the people who misuse the equipment get criminally charged either. We can't find any criminal cases on this. This is a pretty important piece of evidence. And we brought Congressman Laudermick, who's the chairman of the House Administration Oversight Committee, the mandates, trying to expose the security failures that the J6 committee kept under wraps. And at the opening of our show today, he's going to tell us how big a security failure this is, how troubling and odd it is to watch the videotape. If you want to watch the videotape, just go to Just the News right now, and you can see it at the top of the story. We're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back. Chairman Loudermilk will start us off, Barry Loudermilk of Georgia, and then we'll go to Bud Cummins, former Little Rock U.S. attorney, a really a federal prosecutory expert. A lot he's concerned about he's seeing on the indictment of Donald Trump, uh, the new threatened indictment of Donald Trump on top of the two that already occurred. And then we'll get to Bobby Charles, who has a lot of thoughts about how we're going to change the judicial system in America from its many failures and fupas that have occurred and weaponization that have occurred in the last several years, particularly under Joe Biden. That's a great show, isn't it? Well, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we'll kick it off with Congressman Barry Loudermilk right after these messages. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time 
IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. He's been leading the investigation to figure out what went wrong on January 6th and how we can make the U.S. Capitol uh, safer. He's Georgia Congressman Barry Lauderman, chairman of one of the House administration's investigative committees. He joins us now. Congressman, I'd just like to get your reaction to what we just saw in that footage. Well, the comment that you made was uh, one of the things that went wrong. We're still trying to find those things that actually went right, uh, which are few and far between. But this, this is really a strange video. And the more that we look at these uh, 44,000 hours of video, we start finding these anomalies that uh, the January 6th Select Committee obviously uh, chose to ignore. And this is very strange. And and we have many questions, as, as you do. And now this has been brought to our attention as many other uh, pieces of video as, you know, what what's going on here? Uh, when I first look at it, you know, the, the police are bringing this yellow bag in. One thing we know, this was a failure of command and control within the Capitol Police because of an intelligence failure. Right. Um, and as well as the the over politicization of the Capitol Police um, by members of leadership. And so uh, this may have been riot gear that we have these civil disturbance units that were in position, uh, but they were told because of the optics, they weren't allowed to have their riot gear, those were stored in buses close by. Maybe this was some of that riot gear that was actually being brought in uh, finally. But also, as I watch the, what you're seeing right now, um, the gentleman who is uh, zip tying the door together with the handcuffs, from my intelligence background, investigative background, the first thing I think of is, is this guy coordinating with the people on the inside? Because you got people on the inside who are about to, uh, you know, uh, right. go after these officers with extinguishers. Were they coordinating together or was this just circumstance? There's just so many unanswered questions that all of this is important to ensuring that we can secure the capital in the future. And quite frankly, this is the type of thing that the January 6th uh, Select Committee should have been doing. But instead, they decided to take it a full political path, and no one has really addressed these security failures until we're looking into it. Yeah, you are playing such an important role. So many of your colleagues are, are boasting about what you're doing because you're really getting down to the facts so we can learn from the facts. There's not an effort to politically embarrass. It's an effort to try to get the Capitol to be more secure, to learn from the mistakes made during that awful day. Tomorrow's a big moment in that mission. You've got the inspector general for the Capitol Police coming before you. Tell us a little bit of why that's important and what the American public will gain from tomorrow's hearing. Well, even outside of the January 6th, which we will be addressing a lot of the things that happened in January 6th and, and what may or may not have been done by the Capitol Police to change their processes and procedures and recommendations that was done by the previous Inspector General. But um, this would be a, a, a office that is under the purview of this committee anyhow. So there'll be a wide range of things. But we are going to be talking a lot about uh, January 6th. Now, this is a different Inspector General, but there is one thing that's in common between the inspector general that was there during January 6th and the current one is that it's it's kind of a strange operation. You see, most inspector generals are totally independent of the organization that they oversee. But that's not the case. 
you see the inspector general of the Capitol Police is hired and fired by the Capitol Police Board. So the people right. that hire him are the people that he's actually investigating. And so we're going to be very interested to look in how is that relationship? Is there pressure that is put on the inspector general? Uh, you know, uh, what what kind of coordination happens, especially when it comes to securing the Capitol and responding to January 6th? Uh, were we actually has have the Capitol? police, and I'm not saying they haven't, but have they actually accomplished most of the things that the previous inspector general put out as far as the reforms? Uh, there's a whole lot of questioning, but I have uh, serious concerns over an office of inspector general who is hired and fired by the people that he is supposed to be inspecting. And that is uh, unheard of in government. It was never that way in the military. He should be hired and, and fired and managed by an independent group, whether it's GAO, Government Accounting Office, or, or Government Accountability Office, or, or some other entity. But to have him report to the very entity that he is supposed to be overseeing, that's unheard of. You are and doing a lot of the work that uh, some of these other independent watchdogs may not have done. For instance, this episode that we show on tape doesn't seem to show up in any of the reviews, even though a lot of the law enforcement officers we talked to knew about it right away and pointed us to it. Um, are you satisfied that the mindset that's needed to change and make improve security is there in these organizations? Or is that something you think will be an outcome of your hearings and your in your work? You know, government, it gets set in its ways and it's hard to move. Now, I do think we're in a position to make some serious changes. Look, the line officers, the guys on the front lines, they they operated with the best they could. I have nothing against uh, the majority of those officers, and they are eager to see changes made here because most of these guys, look, they're, they're giving their lives to protect the Capitol, to protect the people in the Capitol, and that's just not the members of Congress. That's also the members of press and the public. You know, we've reopened the Capitol building to the public. Right. And so uh, these guys have an awesome, an, uh, an incredible task. If you think about it, this this building, the Capitol building, it needs to be the most open, one of the most open buildings in America, but at the same time, the most secure. And that's an undaunting task. So um, they want to see reforms. I think uh, the new Capitol Police Chief, he was not, he did not come up through the political ranks. He came right. from outside law enforcement. I think that's healthy. Um, and I think we've just got to break the the politics and the political influence uh, that oversees these uh, the the leadership to make sure that we get the right reforms in, and more importantly, the truth of what really happened out. Yeah, that's all the American people want, the facts. We have about 20 seconds left. Last time you were on, you mentioned you were working with the MPD, the Metropolitan Police Department, to try to get access to body cam footage. Could you give us a quick update? Is, uh, has there been progress on that front? We, we did, and uh, we have received body cam footage, including some interesting video that you highlighted, which was <laughs> of a Metropolitan Police officer, yeah. which we suspected that this GoPro footage of someone encouraging people to go into the Capitol, um, and we verified it was a Metropolitan Police officer, which has raised other questions, which we are now uh, effectively pursuing the answers to those questions. All right, folks, don't go anywhere when we come back. By the way, a big thank you to Chairman Laudermilk. A lot of wisdom and thought there. And to get a sense that he's got some more big bombshells coming down the pike for all of us. But when we come back from the commercial break, 
We're going to have a great conversation with one of the most respected former federal prosecutors I've ever worked with, former U.S. attorney from Little Rock, Bud Cummins. He had a big role in bringing evidence to the FBI of Hunter Biden wrongdoing. He's exposed some FBI wrongdoing in the Keith Renner case, and he practiced justice the way it used to be practiced, where it was blind to the name, the political identity. It only focused on the evidence. He's going to give us quite an interview right after these messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. This next guest has been really one of my favorite legal minds to go to. Whenever big stories are on the horizon, he has an impeccable record as a U.S. attorney in Little Rock, as a private attorney, and as somebody who practiced justice the way it was meant to be practiced, blind of politics, blind of the person, really just dedicated to what the evidence shows should be prosecuted. And in today's Justice Department, that's a rarity. We see so much politics and so little focus on evidence. So going to introduce, I'm bringing my good friend, Bed Cummins, former U.S. attorney from Little Rock. Bud, great to have you back on the show. Good to be here, John. Thank you for that nice introduction. Well, it is true. And I think a lot of people who have watched your work say those are the type of people we need more of in the Justice Department and a lot less of the people that today seem to practice politics on their sleeve and evidence be damned. I want to start with the big news yesterday. There was actually quite a bit of news yesterday. But let me start with the word that President Trump's been told he's a target, likely to be indicted in the next few days gets one last chance to go before the grand jury. What does this look like from a career prosecutor's perspective and also from the American people's perspective? We're, we're just months away from an election. It seems like the opposition party is using the justice system. Well, uh, to, in short, I think we're well past the point where this has become a massive exercise and abuse of prosecutorial discretion. Uh, I, I point out to you, I was I was uh, surfing the Internet, looking at various headlines this morning. And uh, one of the liberal outlets had a, had an article uh, about uh, Hunter Biden and the and the whistleblower hearings today. And 
And and they they said, well, you know, uh, Justice Department officials pointed out the difficulty in uh, prosecuting the son of a president uh, or a sitting vice president or or someone who's a candidate for president. I don't remember how they worded Joe Biden. And as a reason why they couldn't be more aggressive in pursuing Hunter Biden. Well, here you have an ex-president who is running for president in the presidential season. And it is abundantly clear that they are 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 doing everything they can to, to load him up with as many charges to defend as they possibly can. And it's well past the point of credibility. Yeah. And listen, these things happened three years ago. If you're going to charge them, it certainly didn't take three years to figure this out. They're timed actually to start as the campaign is starting. It's uh, it's so weird to think that it took them three years to solve something that all the facts have been on the table for such a long time. Does the timing in and of itself and the multiple indictments from multiple jurisdictions run by Democrats, does it does that the timing also lend some concern about the, the perception of what's going on? Well, the timing and the quality of the charges. I mean, you know, I'm not saying, look, this isn't really my my point or my my purpose is not to defend and say Donald Trump is innocent of every allegation of misconduct. Uh, you know, he may have made some mistakes. He may have exercised poor judgment and may have technically broken laws. I have never seen anything in these indictments that I thought was so egregious that, you know, it it mandated uh, a grand jury indictment. But set that aside, innocent or guilty. In this environment, the timing, the, 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 the low quality of the substantive quality of the allegations uh, and the you know, lack of seriousness, uh, it all adds up. And the absence of vigorous pursuit of charges on the other side of the aisle uh, all add up to a blatant uh, uh, exercise of, of you know, abuse of prosecutorial discretion. And, and frankly, I, everywhere I go, not just among conservatives, I don't have any Democrat friends that are trying to convince me that this is all the correct way to do business. Uh, I'm not hearing that. That is very true. Uh, I have a lot of Democrats saying, ah, yeah, come on. Let's, I'm not even going to try to pretend what's going on here. It's, uh, it's very interesting to see that, that, that. And that's a tipping point that maybe a year ago, two years ago, I think there were still Democrats trying to put a gloss on this. But I think now they kind of don't even try. Well, and you would think after Loretta Lynch, after James Comey, after Peter Strzok, after Andy McCabe, after their actions and decisions and errors and omissions were exposed and how awful they looked on a professional basis, how incompetent and unethical they appeared to be to most of us who who are trying to look at these things, you know, from a neutral standpoint, you would think that no one would would want to continue that go down that path. Yet here we are and, and it's just as bad or worse. And I think the reason why is uh, a, there's there's no, you know, the corporate media is not doesn't even cover it, much less criticize it. And B, when you go to the cocktail party Friday night where where this particular U.S. attorney from Delaware is, he's not going to be criticized. He's in he's going to be going amongst friends and they're going to be patting him on the back and congratulating him. So I think that they're getting positive reinforcement for this in their own little deep state uh corners of the world. But, the, you know, out here in flyover country, I don't think anybody's buying it. Yeah, I, there's a danger that maybe they're caught in their own echo chamber and they don't really realize what they look like to everyday Americans who are out there wondering, why are my tax dollars and my time and my 
political and emotional capital being spent on this. It's going to be really fascinating. They see themselves as heroes. Believe me, they don't see themselves as wrongdoers. They see themselves as heroes, but they, they're not only wrongdoers, they're, they're actually putting the future of our country in jeopardy. Uh, you know, it's looking so much like uh, Central or South American uh, takeover, uh, illegitimate elections in government, the prosecution of political opponents. Uh, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. Let's pivot to the other big issue. These whistleblowers are testifying on Capitol Hill today. Uh, both career guys, highly decorated, trusted by the IRS in some of their biggest cases. Uh, one is nonpartisan. One is openly Democrat gray and uh, and uh, is fuming that the Democrats are suggesting his motive in coming forward uh, is that he was somehow political. It's not. He just thinks that people should be treated fairly when the same tax crimes are presented. Uh, how important is it for America? Americans to see these two people and realize that there are nonpartisan people still in the government that just think that, hey, it doesn't matter your Joe Biden son. If you broke the law, you get the penalty. I think it's very important. And it's 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 important for all Americans to make the distinction. There are tens of thousands of federal agents and and, uh, you know, people in these agencies that are not corrupted and are trying to do their job in a neutral. You know, I've worked with so many people that have, you know, Democrats who have prosecuted Democrats, Republicans who are prosecuting Republicans and, and do it right. And like you said, I mean, I, I hope that I did it that way. And, you know, but frankly, uh, when I was confronted with these situations, I, I, I didn't think it was that hard until I watched these other people try to do it. Uh, it. It shouldn't be this difficult to approach these cases in a neutral way. And that's all these agents are saying. We're in the room, guys, and, and we found all this evidence and, we're, and, and we've just never seen a case get stonewalled like this. And, and then, uh, you know, the media wants to report on the, the Hunter Biden's guilty plea and, and ask whether it's a sweetheart deal. And that completely that's not even the question. What's the question is what these guys are there to talk about is is tens of millions of dollars of income that income taxes were evaded criminally and there was no prosecution. People go to jail for this every day all over America. And and it, it's it's unbelievable that that uh, anyone thought that they should turn a blind eye to this kind of uh, income tax evasion. Yep. It's um, and, and I've seen some Democrats go say, oh, any other person in this circumstance would have got a lesser sentence. I, I've been going through some tax cases. I'm telling you, <laughs> any other person got much more severe consequences uh, and uh, by ignoring the 2014 stuff. In fact, when you go back to the unnamed whistleblower, the whistleblower who's unmasking himself today, he says that the, the tax evasion actually goes all the way back to 2002. It was a two decade uh, constant scheme of just saying, I'm not going to pay my taxes because I'm Hunter Biden. Um, any doubt in your mind that if you take the Hunter Biden name out, that this would have been charged at a much larger uh, and more severe penalty? Zero doubt. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine in my experience in, in all aspects of federal prosecution as a prosecutor working for the court as a defense attorney. I've never seen anyone uh, commit, you know, proven uh, acts of, of uh, failure to pay tax, tax evasion at, at this scale and walk away from it. Never. Doubt, doubt you can find anybody that has. The 
I, I wonder you, uh, you've watched all of that James Comer, Jim Jordan, and James Smith, uh, Chairman Smith has done in the last few weeks. There seems to be evidence on multiple fronts that there was a protection racket operating inside of the law enforcement community, the Secret Service, perhaps uh, protecting him on the cocaine discovery, the um, uh, uh, prosecutors in Delaware and elsewhere putting pressure to shrink the tax case down, a clear effort not to look at allegations involving uh, Joe Biden, in fact, clear instructions. You can't ask about the big guy. can't ask about Joe Biden. Hey, we're going to tip off Hunter Biden that you're raiding his locker. Oh, we're going to tip off Hunter Biden. You're trying to do a drive-by interview. Uh, in the normal course of federal prosecution, you've seen it on both sides as the chief prosecutor in a federal office and as a criminal defense lawyer. Have you ever seen behavior like this? Is this, is this the norm that witnesses get tipped off, search warrants get turned down? Was it a protection racket? I want to be fair because I want to be fair because there is a theme in the Department of Justice about elections and 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 being overtly investigating people in ways that might affect an election. So as an election season approaches, you kind of go quiet. You don't you know, you don't want to serve a search warrant on somebody two weeks on a candidate two weeks before the election because it could be unfairly exploited by his opponent. All the all the obvious reasons. But aside from that, uh, and, and again, the corporate media, mainstream, whatever you want to call it, I don't know what you call those guys, but, you know, they, they love to slip in these little subtle and not so subtle defenses <laughs> about, well, uh, his lawyer, you know, the, the uh, federal prosecutors called his lawyers and gave him a heads up about a search warrant, which is not uncommon uh, when dealing with high profile clients or targets. Well, it's pretty uncommon in my experience because I've never heard of that. I've never heard of a prosecutor <laughs> calling a high-profile target and telling his lawyer, hey, we're going to execute a search warrant. It just doesn't happen. And there's an amazing thing. One of the, the one of the things that media got wrong, the, uh, one of the notifications, which was the interview, the, the effort to go and interview Hunter Biden, they called the Biden Transition Office a political office in government, not even the defense lawyers. It, it just uh, the media just glosses over that. They say, oh, they were trying to really tell Hunter Biden. No, they weren't. They were telling his president-elect father's political office that this was about to happen. I can't think of another case. I've gone through hundreds of cases now that say, has this ever happened like this happened to Bill Clinton? Did it happen to Donald Trump? Well, there are. And again, to be fair, John, and we want to be fair. Right. There are some added layers of complication because of Secret Service. Secret Service there to protect those people. They're not there to investigate them. They need them to not feel like they're being spied on by the Secret Service because they can't do their mission. That's right. If their protectee thinks that they're being watched by law enforcement. The Secret Service would be a perfectly normal notification telling the transition office. Big difference, right? And it's just so... yeah. I mean, you call it like it is. I mean, that's right. The Secret Service would never. By the way, the Secret Service wouldn't tip off Hunter Biden. They would just know, hey, when the cop, when the FBI shows up, let's, we know it's not a hostile event. That's right. And that's a good security thing. That's a great idea. Uh, but the, t- the, the, the offices, the, the, the tip offs are just I've gone through hundreds of cases. And I went through a lot of political cases the last couple of months uh, with you know members of Congress, uh, Bill Clinton cases, other things. You just don't see this behavior over the last 25 years, except in this case, it's it's really joint dropping. And you're working on a case that has really caught my fascination. And I've often said this, that the greatest measure of a good justice system is how how it uh, treats defendants when there is the most heinous of accusations. Can the justice? 
at least attractive people. Do they get justice? And Keith Renner, clearly very uh, controversial. There's a lot of uh, uh, ill will in America towards him and other things. But they didn't need to cheat. They didn't need to pull strings to convict him if they wanted to. But there is really compelling evidence. And by the way, it's coming from FBI people saying this evidence was manipulated. We've had you on once before, but bring us up to speed on how little the FBI has done to really examine very serious allegations of corrupted evidence. Yeah, Keith Ranieri, and you know, real quick, for those that aren't familiar with him, he's you know his he's been highlighted in a, I think more than one uh, documentaries. One of them's called The Bow that was on HBO, a series. And, and, you know, it's a little bit sensationalized, but he comes off as, as uh, certainly not everybody's cup of tea. And, 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 uh, but, you know, he ran a, a self-help uh, uh, seminar business. So I think 20,000 people ran through it. And, and, but, it, you know, it, it resulted in him developing this circle of, of people around him that were, you know, have been accused of being a cult. Women were branding his initials. And, and so it's, you know, it's kind of unsettling and, you know, uh, a story that a lot of us probably wouldn't necessarily want to warm up to Keith Raniere. When he's tried, and there's a number of things I won't go into about his case that I, I have not, you know, are not really in my portfolio that are eyebrow raisers that fall under the, you know, the general uh, category of high-profile cases, the federal government kind of stretching the law to try to turn this into a crime because they charge him under RICO. And, you know, there's an interesting discussion there. But aside from that, the, 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 the really the key thing that took Keith Ranieri down at trial was an allegation that he had child pornography on his camera, that there were pictures of an underage girl nude, uh, and it was her age was proved by the timestamp on, on, the, on the pictures. And that was the most clear, you know, thing that most of us would not, you know, take issue with someone being prosecuted for. And and uh, there was and the only evidence was the camera was the the electronic files. He was convicted. He was sentenced to 120 years. And uh, now there are not one, but seven computer forensic experts who have signed affidavits that have been filed in federal court that say in their professional and te- you know opinion with beyond a scientific certainty that evidence was tampered with while it was in the FBI custody now whatever you think of Keith Ranieri that's serious uh you know the idea that that key evidence in a case and it, in this situation the sole evidence that proved that crime which was the the most clear cut offense in probably in his trial uh, that might have been tampered with. That's that's serious. It's something any of us, I don't care if it's Ted Bundy or Keith Ranieri or Jack the Ripper, we should all be concerned about. And most recently, uh, Dr., you know, and, and, and in a wider sense, you know, a lot of us are just trying to, to reach out to Congress and to, to the FBI, to Director Chris Ray, who was a colleague when I was at the Department of Justice, and say, you know, please stop. Stop and look at some of this stuff and come clean on it. I mean, the, the, the Department of Justice has stonewalled this issue for a number of months and called it frivolous. They have seven experts. Four of them are former FBI. And Dr. Kuyper wrote a very compelling email last week to, to Director Ray and, and telling him about this and saying, Dr. Kuyper being the, the lead expert in the case, the former FBI, and saying, Director Ray, please, you need to stop and look at this. This is serious stuff. And, and so far, there's been no response. But 
uh, it, it's just another example of the need to really take take uh, you know uh, an accounting of what's going on at DOJ and FBI and quit hiding behind these you know well it's an ongoing investigation we can't talk about that's that's become you know nauseating to hear and it's we're well past that they need to they need to really do. Uh, become transparent and, and, and admit what has gone on there that is wrong and tell the American public how they're going to fix it. Yeah, it's really, really, really remarkable. And uh, I think people and it's funny, it's hard to get anyone to look at this. Congress doesn't seem to be that interested in it. It's such an important issue. And again, take the person out for a second, because uh, if they if they feel like they need to cheat on a case that's notorious, what will they do on everyday cases? The the principle is so important here. Uh, what is the next step? What can the defense team and other people do uh, to to try to gain the sort of oversight and review that this really is crying out for? Well, uh, Ranieri's trial lawyers are in court trying to get the court to review these allegations as in a motion for a new trial. Uh, the, the government stonewalled the response for months and months and months. They are have been ordered to respond here, uh, I think, before the end of July. So we'll see, uh, you know, they, they basically are going to come back with one of two responses. They're either going to come back with some expert testimony that rebuts the the seven experts that that Ranieri team has put forward, or they're going to, you know, raise some procedural bar and say, well, it's too late to raise this or something like that and try to duck it. But I don't care what they say. If I'm director of the FBI, I want to know if my people tampered with evidence and I want to know yesterday. So, and if it, if they did, I'm going to not dance around procedural bars to try to keep some guy in jail for 120 years that was wrongfully convicted. I'm going to run out and tell everybody we've made a horrible mistake and here's what it is and we're going to fix it. And so uh, that's what needs to happen. I hope Congress does get interested in it. They've got their hands full right now, but they sure do. Uh, this is just another important issue that they need to, to pay attention to. Yeah. And it's something that doesn't take a lot of time to get your hands around and to really make an honest assessment of what's going on here. Uh, the courts, how have the courts looked at it thus far? Uh, well, the judge has he sentenced Ranieri to 120 years. So I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the judge is not real uh, fond of Keith Ranieri. He, he did not require the government to respond to the motion, kind of put it on hold for a long time. But he did finally uh, order them to respond. So we'll see their response. And then uh, I assume some kind of uh, a hearing will be convened. But, you know, the speed of which is yet to be determined. But. If I'm a again, if I'm the judge, if I'm the U.S. attorney, if I'm the head of the FBI, I don't wait for all that. This is about the most serious allegation somebody could make that agents of the federal government have tampered with evidence or, or evidence was tampered with while it was in their custody and control. I'd want to get to the bottom of it. And once I did, I think I'd be obligated to let the public know what happened. So I don't know that we should have to wait on all that. When you look at the uh, Christopher Ray that showed up at the hearing uh, last week and the uh, he, literally, I don't know anything about that. I don't know about that. I didn't know about that. He didn't even know how many times the FISA court had raised concerns that the FBI had unlawfully searched Americans' phone records under Section 702 power. I've gotten a lot of people, even some Democrats, privately saying, uh, boy, that wasn't very inspiring. Um, 
is does it seem like Chris Ray was almost disinterested in being at the hearing or disinterested in engaging engaging in meaningful oversight? How big a problem is that for the FBI that the director kind of gives off the vibe that he's really not interested in people's concerns about um, uh, possible misconduct or uh, bad behavior in his own agency? Well, maybe it's my nature, but I, you know, I know I've, I worked with Chris Ray a little bit. I, I you know, think he's impressive guy. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not fostering an environment intentionally where wrongdoing is continuing to occur. But, uh, I, you know, you may recall you and I were friends when I was still giving Jim Comey that kind of uh, benefit of the doubt. And I was wrong. He didn't deserve it. And so I don't know why Chris Ray is being so, uh, you know, his responses lack transparency so badly and why he's hiding behind the ongoing investigation and this and that. I don't, maybe he's not as politically savvy as you would think he is to understand the situation they're in. But when people like me and members of Congress are saying, I no longer trust the FBI, I don't care what they say about Donald Trump or you know, I no longer can trust them because I've seen them be accused of serious misconduct and try to stonewall the answer and not come clean and get, you know, with with whatever went wrong and, and admit it and fix it. Uh, I just don't think he's going to be in that job very long unless, I guess, you know, if Democrats continue to win national elections and the Republicans are not going to ever hold the White House again, I guess he can be there a long time. But I, if if I were advising him, I would t- have him take a different approach. And I think the different approach would be uh, to, to not hide behind, the, you know, pretend like you're secret squirrel and you can't talk about anything. He can talk about all this stuff. Almost everything they're asking him, he can talk about. And and he certainly can talk about when he says it's an ongoing investigation. And, and really, the problem is there was no investigation. He can certainly talk about that. And, uh, you know, you know my story, how I tried to contact the U.S. attorney and Southern District of New York in 2018 and offer a presentation of evidence about Hunter Biden and and, uh, was stonewalled. Uh, I would think the director of the FBI should know exactly what happened there and see if the FBI had a role in stonewalling that. And it should have already been publicly, you know, admitted that and and a whole laundry list of other questions that you and I can put together in five minutes. Yeah. You know, there's a great contrast because after 9-11, I did a lot of the reporting about the the failures of 9-11, won a lot of awards for it. Um, And the way Director Mueller came in and said, listen, we got to acknowledge what wrong here. We can't be ashamed to acknowledge the mistakes because we won't fix them unless we acknowledge them and get them on the table. Some require legislative fixes. Some require Justice Department fixes, CIA fixes, FBI. That approach that the FBI did under Bob Mueller really inspired confidence. And you saw Congress and uh, Democrats and Republicans all working together. And I I looked at that. I I covered those hearings and I watched it. I watched the Blue Ribbon Commission. And then I watched Chris Ray. And I'm like, what a contrast. Chris Ray doesn't seem to have any engagement. Bob Mueller got ahead of all the concerns. And people have their dickers with him. But he got ahead of the concerns. He addressed them. Uh, honestly, yeah, what you saw is really what happened. Let's fix it. Uh, there was such a contrast. It seems like Chris Ray could learn a little bit by studying the way Bob Mueller in, uh, navigated, you know, the 9-11 era. Is that something uh, that you think P- that the, the FBI should look at uh, the way they handled it two decades ago? Yeah, I mean, I just think that that's that's 
that's exactly how it should be handled. I don't know if that's the same Bob Moore that was running the yeah. the uh, Russia probe, but but uh, I don't think Bob Moore was running the Russia probe. I think we know who was, and it was Andrew Weissman was in charge. Character. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think that's exactly what needs to happen, and I think that that, uh, that without prodding, uh, the the director should make it. You know, quit circling the wagons and and open up the the you know, let sunshine in and say that this is what happened. I mean, like, as I, like I said, you know, let's give out our phone number and have Chris Ray give us a call because John Solomon and Bud Cummins could make up a list of questions, of, you know, 20 or 30 questions in about five minutes that would solve and clear up a lot of these matters. And if the FBI had committed wrongdoing, that, that, then that's the answer. Say it and say what you did. You know, what are the consequences to the people involved? And and how, what are, institutionally, how have you fixed it so it won't happen again? I need to know the answers to those things because right now I can't tell any client to speak to the FBI. Yeah. I can't trust them because I know bad things have happened. I know that they haven't been admitted, and I'm unaware of any consequences or any reason to believe that they're not going to continue to happen. And that's a problem. Yeah. And you worked in the system. You trust the system. You honor the system by the way you did things. It's it's amazing to think that that has to be the advice to clients today. But you and many, many thousands of lawyers are all telling that to their clients right now. A tragic moment in our system, I think. But real quickly, we got to run. But what's the best way for people that if they were inspired to learn more about what you've dug up in the Rainier case with the forensic problems? Uh, what's the best way for people to get up to speed and in, in, in involved in that? Well, I wish I had a website or something, but I don't uh, for them to go to. But I think I think if they uh, just try to uh, follow the uh, the developments in the Eastern District of New York uh, in the coming days, there will be. And, you know, they if they have influence and they want to call their congressperson and add this to the list of things they sure like to know the answer to call and ask your congressman to urge uh, urge urge the FBI to, to get to the bottom of these serious allegations, because. There's seven affidavits there that say uh, key evidence was tampered with in a, in a high-profile case. That's a problem. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, but always an honor to have you on. We learn so much, and I think we get some of that wisdom and that fairness that used to be in the judicial system. We get hungry, like we want more of that. Get it back in the system. Uh, what a great honor to have you on the show today. Thank you, John. Appreciate you. Thanks, my friend. All right, folks, we got one more to go because it's AMAC Wednesday. Yep, Bobby Charles, my good friend, going to join us in just a few minutes. Don't miss that. We're going to get some really big discussions. You know what? There's a parallel to what's going on in the Hunter Biden White House right now and what happened in the a few short years before Abraham Lincoln came into power. We're going to explain that with Bobby Charles right after these messages. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. I love Wednesdays because it's our AMAC conversation, the Association for Mature American Citizens, one of our great partners. We not only have great products and great offerings for them, we also have a great discussion about what's really going on in America. And uh, no better person to do that this week than Bobby Charles, former Assistant Secretary of State in the State Department, former one of the best congressional investigators I ever saw in action in Congress, and now the national spokesman for AMAC joining us right now. Bobby, great to have you back on the show. John, it's always a pleasure to be with you and uh, in consequential times. That it is. It's hard to almost take in all of the revelations that the congressional oversight committees have brought to the forefront just in the last couple of weeks, Uh, whether it's uh, the Secret Service unable to solve a basic cocaine caper inside the White House to the the stunning revelation that uh, multiple prosecutors signed off on a more serious prosecution of Hunter Biden and it got deep sixed or that the Biden transition office got tipped off about efforts to interview Hunter Biden or that uh, Hunter Biden's lawyers got tipped off about a planned search warrant for his evidence. Um, there are two big things that are now really irrefutable. The Biden family clearly had a racket going on that was uh, trading on their name for money, trading on U.S. policy for money, influence peddling, as we used to call it when we convicted people of this. Uh, and there was a protection racket going in the Justice Department from the Secret Service to the FBI to the Justice Department, the U.S. Attorney's Office. How are you? You've, you've covered a lot of scandals. You created a lot of scandals with your great work. How big a moment of corruption is America witnessing right now? You know, John, I, every time we talk, I, I find it harder and harder to properly put into historical perspective what's happening here. We have an underlying set of predicate acts that now appear to range into the tens of millions of dollars flowing to Biden, which under any ordinary circumstances uh, to that family would have been would have been viewed immediately under the facts that we know out of the Treasury documents, justice, IRS would have been viewed as a a violation of 18 U.S.C. 201 federal bribery laws and would have had a very, I mean, prosecutors look to put with any predicate act as much as they can to bring someone to justice. It would have triggered the RICO uh, statute. We have instead of that really a a completely different response. And I I think back, as I mentioned to you at once off air here, you know, in, in the era of Dwight Eisenhower, Sherman Adams, his chief of staff, his wife, Adam's wife, received a fur coat, I think, from a foreign national, and Sherman Adams had to resign. And now we have tens of millions of dollars. A, a number last week finally topped out over $100 million, if you tallied up a lot of this, that appears to have gone directly uh, through a series of schemes uh, to the Biden family. And there's just about no denying the documents. They come out of uh, rock solid sources. And, and so, and so without going through all of that, we really have two piles of evidence. One is the predicate act evidence. And the other is now a mounting pile of cover up evidence, whether, whether you're talking about criminality in the form of cocaine, probably linked, uh, to the president's son in the white house, but no one will say so to a an attorney general who says that the IRS and DOJ and FBI whistleblowers that are clearly high integrity people who are not Republicans, who are not conservatives, who are who are just concerned about the future of the country. He, he says they're lying. Look, you know, we're at a we're at a we're at a critical moment here, an intersection in terms of the integrity of the country. And I would tell you my last thought here on this is that is that republics do not survive if they don't have three things. They need accountability, 
in those who are in leadership positions. They need integrity of those in leadership positions, and they need the ability to converse with each other to reach an agreement on policy and political issues. We're, we're losing all three of those. And if we don't regain them, the republic itself is at risk. Yeah. And, you know, there are moments in our history where we face epic sort of corruption moments. Watergate is probably the one most people remember. It's more modern Richard Nixon. It was glamorized by the movie All the President's Men. But there was an earlier time where a corruption scandal literally negated a political party and gave rise to the modern day Republican Party. You have to go back a little bit, maybe about 170 years. Tell us about the 1850s and some of the parallels that our country today faces that go back to that time. You know, very, very astute, John, because I think, as you always are, I mean, you, you, you dig and dig and dig and look for the, the ground, the, the ground truth or the, uh, the bedrock. And so we have we have other had had other have had other scandals like the Teapot Dome scandal under Warren G. Harding. Uh, we've had others that 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 were of, of some significance because they tested the integrity and the accountability and the ability of the country to understand nation comes before party. But the one you're referring to, I'm sure, is the is the period of 1856 when the nation again was at an extraordinary moment. And, and it's a foreboding, a haunting almost to think about this at the moment. The, the country had gotten to a point where we could not speak with each other. Half of the country could not speak to the other half of the country. And the Whigs is largely in the north. Uh, we're at a complete uh, loggerheads with the Democrat Party in the South. The Democrat Party in the South itself was divided between those who just advocated for slavery and slave states uh, who had signed off on the Missouri Compromise of 1820. But 30 years later, in 1856, they uh, were at the point where they wanted to bring more slave states in. And the North had an absolute, uh, just, uh, apoc- you know, they, they, they just absolutely resisted that and said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. So what happened is the Democrat Party in the South split between those who wanted to secede from America and those that wanted to stay but wouldn't tolerate a lot of the Whig thinking. The Whig thinking would became increasingly abs- abolitionist. And Abraham Lincoln uh, in 1858 had a big set of debates with a guy named Stephen Douglas. And by 1860, that presidential election was all about, and, and, and so out of the, out between 1950, 1856 and, and uh, 1860, you ended up with the formation of the Republican Party. The Whig Party went away because a chunk of it that believed in integrity and was against slavery joined with the anti-secessionist parts of the Democrat Party. You could almost see that happening again here because you can see the Democrat Party going hard left. I, you know, it's, it's not slavery, but it's hard left and it, it's violating or, or abandoning a lot of the other members of the party that really wanted to see integrity. And then you, you have a Republican Party, which is now becoming a party of uh, not only victimized, I mean, by these various cultural and and uh, scandalous things, uh, unable to get any accountability out of the government, but is also a party that really, I think, is 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 working hard to refine the traditional hardcore Bill of Rights values that we all believe. I will say one of the most shocking facts that people don't know is that Abraham Lincoln's vice president, Hannibal Hamlin, uh, was more abolitionist, wanted to arm the slaves in order to bring the country back around again. And Abraham Lincoln 
actually was interviewed. There's an interview on record in which he says, as long as Hannibal Hamlin, they say after the Emancipation Proclamation, are, isn't somebody going to kill you? And he says uh, for this, and he says, no, I stand on principle, but as long as Hannibal Hamlin is my vice president, no one's going to kill me. Ironically, in 1864, um, the Republican Party shifts gears and decides instead of standing for integrity, et cetera, et cetera, they're going to they're going to try to appease uh, the South. And they pick a Southerner, Andrew Johnson, and put him with with Lincoln, which Lincoln allows. Uh, and 41 days after they're inaugurated, Lincoln is dead and the Southern Democrat, Andrew Johnson, is president and will later get impeached. But it's a horrible thing to see a country divide. And, John, the concern I have today is that if we again go back to the point of if we abandon accountability, rule of law, integrity in our leadership, if we think somehow that's less important than party loyalty, we're in deep, deep existential trouble. Yeah. Oh, you're right. We had Tom Fitton on uh, the TV show the other night, and he asked a very important question. Okay, the Republicans have done an outstanding job on multiple fronts, identifying an un unmasking scandal and bad behavior, whether it's the border, losing uh, 80, a track of 85,000 children that we brought into the country, placed in someone's care and then lost track of them, or the fentanyl crisis or the Biden family corruption crisis. He said that Americans won't be satisfied if exposure is the only thing Republicans achieve, that there needs to be consequence and accountability for Americans to say, hey, it's worth having the Republicans for another term. You sat in those chairs, you ran investigations, you worked with lawmakers who knew how to exact accountability when they uncovered wrongdoing. What is the, the steps that Congress should take to mete out some accountability for what is now pretty widespread and clear bad behavior? You know, um, we have a, a bare minimum majority in the House and, and we do not have the Senate, we being those that uh, Republicans who seem to be focused intently on accountability. It's a very difficult process. I, I mean, I, for five years, ran the largest part of the Oversight Committee. We did the Waco investigation, investigations into INS, investigations into really egregious acts by justice, uh, even over at Defense and at the State Department. Um, and I will tell you that you get to a point of frustration. I believe Fitton is correct. Uh, and I, I'll say it this way. Americans will not tolerate indefinite corruption and exposure is not sufficient to bring a sense of justice to the to, to, to the sort of the public mind. So what do you do? You 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 seek to uh, hold an attorney general, uh, perhaps the head of the FBI, uh, perhaps others in the in the government uh, in contempt. And you begin to move in the courts against them, putting pressure on them to take acts uh, or to resign that would uh, validate your investigations and the criminal referrals. You 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 begin the process of impeachment, uh, which itself sends a signal that this is a serious matter. The last administration, unfortunately, the Senate behaved in a way and the House behaved in a way that I think brought uh, ignominy on the notion that they were trying to uphold due process through impeachment. But impeachment is still an important tool and can be used against them. You can actually also I, one thought that's occurred to me, John, and it's worth further thinking, is that you could do potential criminal referrals, even though we're talking about federal crimes. There are state level RICO statutes and you, you can get in personam and in rem jurisdiction over these people if the money passed through or they passed through or both the money and the bad acts were tied to a state jurisdiction. It's conceivable you could get state's attorneys general 
to get involved and bring charges. Uh, that is a different kind of accountability. But the problem we have here is one party government is destined always toward corruption. As, as I think it was Francis Bacon said, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you have a president and an attorney general and a bunch of uh, hacks that think that they can run roughshod over the American taxpayer and run roughshod over our laws, it infuriates the average American. Because the one thing we don't want and, and can't stand for uh, is dishonesty and corruption at the top. We just we get sick of it. And, and you see people People being turned out at the state level for it, uh, as they rightly should. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where the Elliot Ness and Theodore Roosevelt and and uh, diehard investigative types that that were all about justice are today. But by God, we need them out there. And the Republican Party today uh, is trying to get us back to a level of accountability. I will note that, you know, the point here is that when I say party is second to nation, you know, when Theodore Roosevelt became governor of New York and just another incredible period of history, he found the Republicans were violating boss Platt, boss Tweed. They were violating the law too. And he went after them. So the point is, you know, where's this attorney general going after a president who's obviously transparently egregiously uh, greedily uh, corrupt. Do you see an attorney general rising up? Is there a state that comes to mind, given what we know about Hunter Biden's schemes, where they were, where they were moving money, what was going through, that could do it? Obviously, Delaware, New York, Washington, D.C., L.A., we already learned they didn't want to touch anything like this. Is there a state when you look out, they go, hmm, maybe they do it? Well, I have two real responses to that. And I, I did spend a little bit of time working in a prosecutor's office. And I, I will tell you that you have, and I was a litigator at one point uh, in the private sector, you know, two, two things come to my mind. The banking system, which is what they abused by trying to duck and weave through CMIR reports and CTRs and suspicious transaction reports. They were trying to dodge those. That touches just about every state in the union uh, to see where the money flows were. I, I haven't dug deep enough to see which states might be able to assert uh, whether Florida, Texas, some of the Republican states would, you know, attorneys general uh, would be involved. The other thing that so that's a worthy inquiry. And, and I think um, there could very well be state level crimes that uh, that then trigger kind of a cascade and create pressure at the federal level. The other thing that is possible, and I, I say this because I have known really good uh, Republican and Democrat appointed uh, both judges and 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 uh, United States attorneys, um, you know, a United States attorney could throw down and say, look, uh, in any one of the states you mentioned uh, and probably half a dozen other states could throw down and say, look, I uh, my entire professional credibility uh, lies here in 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 being an officer of the court and and administering justice without bias and i'm telling the dag you know he could go they could go he or she could go to the deputy attorney general and say i understand you approve all my prosecutions but i'm telling you right now i am going to bring a case against joe biden there is no law that says you can't indict a sitting president there are two memos but there's no law and uh, there's nothing in the constitution that bars it so he could say i am bringing a a uh, a major cause of action under 18 U.S.C. 201 and the RICO Act at either the state or the federal level, but let's say a federal attorney, federal uh, prosecutor, I'm bringing them against the president, and I am telling you right now, you either let me bring these 
or I'm resigning. And God forbid if you got two or three of them, because at that point, uh, Garland would either have to say yes or resign. The DAG would either have to say yes or resign. Um, you could end up with a, a sequence very similar to the Nixon resignation sequence uh, when Nixon was telling people basically to keep covering up and uh, several resigned in a row uh, and couldn't do it. So I think we're at a position right now where, you know, this we've we've often talked about the country having moments of constitutional crisis. I would argue when the president of the United States is a de facto uh, it looks to be a de facto, at least it has crimes that can be credibly, colorably alleged against him uh, and no one is taking action. That that is a that is a constitutional crisis. Yeah. And it has more meaning than uh, to people. To I, I go out, a lot of people recognize me, they come up and start talking and people understand that what's going on now isn't just a little political scandal or uh, infighting between two parties or classic electioneering. It's really existential stuff that's going on. People realize that the system of justice and fairness, that justice is blind, that people get treated the same and get punished the same, that it is at the point of extinction if something dramatic doesn't happen fairly soon. And and uh, it's so palpable in, in when you go out in everyday America it seems like the leaders in Washington and leaders in attorneys general's offices have an enormous moment to assure people that we can fix this by taking dramatic action. And it'll be interesting to see who rises to the occasion. I want to point out two guys who have risen to the occasion, the attorneys general, Andrew Bailey and Jeff Landry in Missouri and Louisiana. Appropriately, their federal litigation has done more to reverse federal based censorship than really anything Congress has even been able to do. How important is it that they keep winning in the courts and rolling back an incredible assault led by the federal government on free speech, free religious expression, free association? Yeah, these are big cases that that you're talking about, and there have been some others. Uh, look, we a, a right undefended is not a right, um, and so uh, I mean, as as Edmund Burke said, all it takes for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. So you have to assert your right, and you have to take it if necessary all the all the way to the Supreme Court and get it vindicated. Uh, we 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 learned that during COVID. We've learned that again since with the cancellation of key First Amendment rights. But never the never never mind that we're locked at a real con- an assault by this government, by this federal government on the Second Amendment, on the Fourth Amendment, on the Fifth Amendment, on the Sixth Amendment, on the Ninth Amendment, on the Tenth Amendment. And if we don't stand up and defend them, we're in big trouble. You know, one footnote to all this, and that is, you know, people may react to you, John, and or to me and say, look, existential, you're being a little you're, you're being a little bit uh, histrionic. And the answer the answer, though, is no. And here's why. It's really a two point. It's a two point. It's just it's just a, it's a, a two sided coin. The average American cannot be expected to abide the law if the president of the United States and the attorney general do not abide the law. And on the flip side, if a president can get away with violating the first, the second, the fourth the 10th Amendments, trying to ex- extinguish them from our Constitution and can go after someone like a former president with with such um, impunity um, and, and really arrogance, then exactly what rights do any of us have? Uh, so the key is that rule of law and 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 a and a republic, as we have conceived it for more than 200 years, only sustains itself 
if the people at the top are not above the law, if there is accountability, if the idea of integrity is not just a word, and that the rights that we are accorded in the in the Bill of Rights are not just words. Look, China has a lot of these words in their so-called constitution. Reality is there's nothing there. Their people's rights are utterly and completely suppressed. That was true in the Soviet Union, Eastern Bloc as well. It's true all over the world. To make these rights real, to make law count, to, to keep us comfortable in the sense that we believe that we are doing what we what we say we are doing, we have to hold leaders accountable and we have to demand that they do the right thing. Yeah, it is so important. And this is a consequential moment in our history and our generation will be defined on how we dealt with these really big issues and big threats to the way our judicial system has operated for such a long time. A last question I want to ask you. There are so many amazing things that AMAC does every day. They're involved in important movements like the Patient Act and getting engaged with legislatures. A AMAC membership is such an extraordinary thing. I had no idea until I joined all of the benefits, the discounts, the insurance, the products, uh, the Medicare products that maybe if people are moving into that phase of their life that are available, many more options than AARP and others offer on the marketplace. I paid for my membership really in the first six months with discounts I got with my AMAC card and I bought a five-year membership. When you look back and you, you, you know, someone comes to you and say, what am I going to get for my AMAC? AMAC, what do you tell them that really catches their attention? You know, John, I am a part of AMAC myself because I believe it is the inheritor of the Ronald Reagan legacy. That is the way I think about it. And 16 or so years ago, when Dan Weber started down the path of forming the organization, I was enthused even at that time. Uh, for the price of a couple of lattes uh, or cappuccinos, you can get a year. Uh, for the price of, uh, you know, a week of cappuccinos, you can get five years. And what do you get? You get medical benefits. You get housing uh, or travel benefits. You get benefits on everything from insurance to <clears throat> to your, I mean, it, it, it's sort of an endless list, the same way that a couple of other organizations that support seniors in particular uh, give benefits. But that's just the starting point. The main point is that this is an organization that is on the forefront. They're on the cusp uh, of, of, of getting things to happen that preserve the country. So at the state legislative level, they have already turned back this single calendar year. They have turned back half a dozen horrific bad acts at the state level, assuring greater levels of electoral uh, accountability, uh, integrity in the electoral system. They've they've uh, turned back ranked choice voting in a couple of states. They've and they've advocated the positive things that are really essential: solvency at the federal level, solvency at the state level. Trying to make sure that when your money is put into the bank because you worked hard all your life and saved it, or you're going to get a pension based on the work you 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 have done or are doing, uh, that inflation and the rest of it doesn't steal that money away. Um, and and you know so they they work at both the federal level. They're constantly in offices all over the Capitol. They are, they're constantly in offices in state level. A lot of these are volunteers. I talked to a volunteer group in Iowa yesterday. Uh, these are just tens of thousands of volunteers, more than two million nationwide, that are deeply engaged in preserving the integrity, the Bill of Rights, the core principles, the solvency, the accountability of the government to the people. And so that's a huge benefit. And then I write five columns a week, cutting edge stuff, as you know, uh, that shows up on amac.us, as do others, uh, Tony Dolan, a bunch of others who are really pivotal older uh, Reagan people who are, who are cutting edge people. But so, so, do, so do a number of uh, experts.
experts in the field. So there's another element. And, and again, it's support legally. It's support. They, they have a call in line for someone who is working on Social Security and trying to work through that. They they have 25 percent of their membership are veterans. They work with veterans benefits. They have an entire foundation dedicated to supporting veterans. Uh, honest to God, this is one of the best kept secrets in the country. Every single American should be a member of AMAC because it really, at the end of the day, is carrying the, the flag forward on the battlefield of ideas. Yeah. And that expertise, I'd say I'm a journalist. I, I pride myself in knowing a lot. I go to a Max site every day and I learn something that makes me smarter in my conversations and my shows and my writing and my reporting because they have experts just like you, Bobby. I mean, someone who really knows what's going on and that knowledge is power, particularly in a moment where we have a lot of disinformation and, and a spin going on in, in Washington. Really an incredible investment. I've said it many times, folks. I want you to match me. If you, if you're inspired, you love what Bobby and I talk about when we get together. Go join AMAC today. It's very simple. Go to amac.us, amac.us slash just news. You'll get a special discount. So you get a discount on the thing that's going to keep getting you discounts and match me on the five year membership. It is literally, it's the cost of maybe a week of lattes and, or good coffees and it pays five years of dividends. I was floored when I, I started to realize how many different ways I would benefit from an AMAC membership discounts products, services, also intelligence and thought leadership that you can't get anywhere else. Go do that today. They support Just the News. Go support them. They are an incredible good investment. It's one of the quickest investments you'll get a return on in anything you're going to do in the next year. So go join AMAC at amac.us slash Just News. Let them know how much you appreciate their support of what we do here. Bobby, we love this conversation. I really do look forward to it every time we have it on Wednesdays. And today, I think we covered some really important moments in our history. And I think a lot of people are going to go home and say, I learned something today. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, John. You are you are truly, a, you know, a paragon of all this accountability. And you have been that for so many years. And it's an honor, truly an honor to be on your show. Well, I feel the same having you on every time and Rebecca and Andy and all the great folks at AMAC. You bring so much to the table every time we get this moment to talk. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Hey, a quick reminder, it's AMAC Wednesday. If you want to get an AMAC membership, go match my five-year membership. It's a bargain. You're going to pay for it right away. I promise you, just on the discounts and services, never mind the political intelligence you're going to get from being a member of AMAC. But to do that, go to amac.us, A-M-A-C. US slash just news. Sign up today. You're going to get a special discount by using that link. And within a few hours, you'll be saving money, getting political intelligence and becoming involved in civic projects that are going to make you feel good. You really will. All right, folks, that wraps up the Wednesday edition. Keep an eye on Just News. We've got some big scoops coming up over the next few days. We'll be back tomorrow with regular programming. I think Congressman Muser is going to be on. He's got a big story to tell about the weaponization of another law enforcement agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission. All right, folks, have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there.
there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.